of, uh, of a message that I simply titled, If. And we spoke about the word if last week and uh, had quite a few things to say about it. Uh, uh, matter of fact, we opened up with Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And within those verses, the reason I chose that as, a, as an opening text is because the word if appears uh, 14 times within the 17 verses. And, and the word if actually shows up 1,670 times in the King James Bible. If declares something known as a conditional sentence or a conditional clause. It requires something from the receiver. It requires something from the one who is listening and or reading. That's what the word if uh, does to us. It is a very small word, but it's a very powerful word. So we're going to get into our text verses tonight. We're going to look in Romans chapter 12 uh, in verse 1 and 2. We'll have a small and brief, um, brief uh, review from last week. Because I want to get in tonight as we begin to focus on the will of God, specifically the will of God in your life. Uh, there's many people today that, that are struggling with the will of God in their life, and I can understand that. That is a, a bit of a struggle. There are some things that is not a struggle. There are some things that should not be, uh, you don't question about being in the will of God, you don't question about doing or not doing for that matter uh, when it comes to the will of God. And so when we look in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So two points I want you to see here, again, reviewing from last week. Uh, Paul is pleading uh, and or begging, if you will. He is pleading and or begging, meaning this, uh, I beseech you. Now, who is he speaking to? He's only speaking to saved individuals because of what is getting ready to take place. He's going to focus on the will of God in people's life. The will of God, first and foremost, for every human being on the planet, God's will is for you to be saved and born again. These verses cannot and will not apply to you if you're not born again because his, his first will, he's not willing that any should perish. Amen? So we can understand that. Once we get into get past that point, the most important and pinnacle point uh, in a human being's life, Paul begins to beg, to plead. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now he is speaking to save individuals by the mercies of God. So he is he is looking and bringing back a remembrance, a reminder, if you will, God's uh, infinite mercy that he had upon his creation, uh, his love that he had upon uh, his creation, upon men, women, and children, upon mankind, his, his incredible mercy, and, and you know, wiping off what we deserve in our sin and our death and our payment uh, for that sin, that's God's mercy. So he's saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The bare minimum that you and I can do in our life is to render our body, this fleshly body right here, over to the Lord Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. Other religions uh, uh, want to hurt your physical body. Uh, we, we've seen penance being paid uh, through the, the Catholic Church. One of the things that Martin Luther, and again, I'm not a Luther fan, don't get me wrong, but, but Martin Luther, you know, when, in the 16th century, as a monk, uh, uh, he, when he visited Rome, he saw the, uh, the flagellation that, that the priests were requiring to these people and the crawling up on the steps upon the knees, causing physical pain for them to pay their penance, something that Jesus Christ has already paid for him. You don't need to go to a man in a box to get to God. You can go to God anywhere you want to when you're saved and born again. That's why you're a royal priesthood. Amen. I preached on that Sunday night. A royal priesthood. You have a connection with the creator of the entire universe. 
Martin Luther refused to accept that, whereas he, he read the verse from Hosea, as well as Paul repeating it, saying that the just shall live by faith. Amen. That was the verse that, that challenged him to write the 95 Theses, the 95 uh, things that he disagreed with Rome and nailed it to the Gutenberg door. Now, before you start praising Martin Luther, uh, and Martin Luther was still in support of assassinating our ancestors, our Christian biblical ancestors, uh, known as the Baptists. Amen. And uh, we Baptists are called Baptists because we were called Anabaptists by other religions. Okay? And I'm saying all that to say this. Other religions, man-made religions, will require you to hurt yourself, to sacrifice your life, okay? We're not too awful far from 9-11 right now, and we'll remember the horrific event that happened in 2001 uh, when a group of men, based on their religion, sought to destroy and kill and terrorize an entire nation, to, to kill themselves along with other innocent people. Jesus Christ doesn't require that. Why? Because he died for you, amen? He died for you, proclaimed victory over over death and over hell. But yet he says here, Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. What does it mean? To live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying that it's holy, meaning it's set apart, acceptable unto God. And he says it's your reasonable service. It's the bare minimum that we can do. So we get into where we're going to focus on tonight in, in, in chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, and be not conformed to this world. The word and is a conjunction. It connects two subjects. We find that he's connecting this living sacrifice, this holy acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. He's connecting it for us not to be conformed to the world. Verse 1, verse one is instructing us what to do. Verse 2 uh, opens up by telling us what to do. But then it goes on telling us how to do it. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we see why we do it. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We covered these things last week. We talked about what was good, uh, the good will of God, if you will. There is a, a good will out there that we understand. There is an acceptable will of God. That doesn't mean that there's a, a bare minimum out there. There is something that God accepts that is called his will. And then there is the perfect will of God, the perfect will of God. And again, like I said, we, we mentioned all these things in our introduction last week, uh, going over these three particular ideas that Paul gives us here. So we're again focusing on this word, if. If, how important is this word, if? I think after last week, we can clearly see and understand the magnitude of if in our life. And as we read, as we read in our opening text, back in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible says, for if we live, again, for if we live, let me say that one more time, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if, through the Spirit, you mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. There's two ifs right there. Two conditional causes, two conditional sentences that requires action on our part. So if is a small word, we understand that. But it's a very powerful word. So where does our ifs and the will of God begin and end in our life, okay? Psalm 139 and verse 16 tells us, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book well, all my members were written, which in uh, continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. When we consider the will of God in our life, frequently it, it brings questions of inevitability arise in our life. Uh, is the Lord's plan accomplished in my life? Can we mess it up? Uh, is the Lord's plan always going to be there? Uh, uh, do we have a choice in what our lives can be and 
And how much of God's plan is he actively imposing upon us? And how much do we, are we able to choose for ourselves? This is a theological argument, a theological question that has uh, divided many, many, many Christians and Bible believers and churches, uh, divided them throughout hundreds of years. Most people, or many people, outside of the, the institutionalized organ, organize, organization called churches, they're not churches, they're institutions. And when I say that, you know I'm referring to the Catholic institution and the Anglican institution. Those are not churches, guys. They might call you, listen, you can call yourself a car all you want, you can live in the garage all you want, you're not a car, okay? Um, you, you, you're just not. And I don't care what kind of identity we live in crisis world today, uh, things are what they are. A church is defined as a uh, uh, ecclesia, which is a Greek word meaning a local called out assembly. It is biblically defined as a local called out assembly of believers who meet for the propagation of the gospel of Christ. As a matter of fact, that's a legal definition uh, throughout Great Britain, believe it or not. So I'm saying all that to say this and make this point very clear tonight. When <clears throat> we speak of how much choice do we have, these are dividing arguments theologically in many organizations. Many people will look at Great Britain and say, well, you're either Arminian or you're Calvinist. I'm neither. I'm an independent Bible-believing Baptist, amen. I'm saved by grace through faith and that not of myself, amen. It's the gift of God and not of works. It's that simple. I'm not an Arminian and I'm not a Calvinist. Both of them are damnable heresies according to 2 Peter chapter 2. Both of them are apostate teachings, okay? So to make that clear tonight. But it still doesn't answer the question of how much control do you and I have. How much control, how much does, how much of the will of God is imposed upon our life, and how much do we have, and how bad can we mess it up, amen? So in terms of the decisions that we make, all of these things are important to us, and they're important for us. But we need a better understanding. We need a better understanding of the Lord's sovereignty and our free will. We do so by taking a look at, at two major aspects of the will of God, and these are two aspects that we need to understand. And I believe tonight, by the time we're finished, it'll give you not only clarity, but I believe it'll be a blessing in your life. So, so there, is, there is that which is known as the determined will of God, okay? The determined will uh, will happen, and there is his desire to happen, those two aspects of God. So first off, let's look at the determined will of God tonight and begin to focus on that. This is the will and the plan uh, which is absolute. This is the will of God that is going to happen in your life. It is inevitable. It's his, it's his inevitable, unchangeable, purposeful, and comprehensive plan which will bring him great praise and great glory. Okay? Now, and again, it's hard. Many of us do not want to accept this ideology. We don't want to accept this thought. Surprisingly, th these types of plans are not exclusive uh, for world events or, or nations. Uh, but rather, you and I as well. So it's not just in things that are going to happen no matter what we do. Speaking of, say, the tribulation period, the rapture of the church, okay? Uh, the rise of the Antichrist. All of those are inevitable. They are going to happen. The Bible tells us that evil men shall wax worse and worse, all right? Deceiving and being deceived. That is going to happen. And there's absolutely, positively zero things that you and I can do about that, okay? That doesn't mean we stop witnessing to our neighbor. That doesn't mean that we become unfaithful. That doesn't mean we don't witness to our co-workers, our classmates, our family member. We are to share the gospel with everybody. And, and, and listen, if evil men are going to wax worse and worse, you know what we need to do? We need to get stronger and stronger. 
We need to work harder and harder. We need to labor more and more. We need to witness more and more. We need to be diligent in your faith, politely persistent on the verge of annoyance. Amen. Witnessing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ's people. If the, if the wicked's going to do the opposite, we need to do uh, the same. So th- that's what we're talking about when, when we're speaking about that inevitability, that unchangeable, purposeful, comprehensive plan of the will of God. It is a determined will of God. But there is a determined will of God that's in our life as well. Psalm 139, verse 16 tells us this. It says, Thine eyes uh, did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So this is the 64,000-pound question. When and where are these plans in our life? I don't know. If I knew that answer, it had the 64,000 pounds as well. What we do know is this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The Word of God reveals we are God's workmanship. The Bible tells us, just the the same book that tells us we're saved, tells us how to be saved, tells us how to, uh, um, to, to continue living a life for him, how to lead somebody else to Christ, uh, the same book that gives us the dispensations and what's going to happen in the future. All of the, the same book tells us that we are his workmanship. We are created unto good works and that God had ordained that we walk in them. So the, the Lord actively prepares each one of us for certain assignments and gives us unique abilities to make an impact on the world for him. In this room tonight, guys, there are people with a talent or with an ability, a unique ability, one of another. And there is a purpose for you having the unique ability because it has placed you in certain circles in this life. And within that circle of this life, God has given you an open door, an opportunity to be a light unto a dark world. One of us else in here, Preston, me, Calvin, Denise, we may try to shoehorn ourselves into the, that circle that you're in because of your ability and your talent. Maybe that happens that we try to do that, and we're co- in, incredibly unsuccessful because it wasn't the plan that God would have. Do you understand tonight what I'm talking about? First Corinthians in chapter 12 tells us in verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So, beloved, we may not, we may not know when or where God's determined will is, but we are instructed in how to live for, for Him, trusting in His perfect plan. We are given free will within the determined will of God. His will is going to happen, no matter what the decisions we make on this path to or in, His will uh, decides. His will is going to occur. The decisions that you and I make in the midst of that decision between point A and point B only determines what baggage, scars, or blessings that we're going to bring to bring to Him when His determined will is uh, accomplished. So I want you to remember this, guys. If you remember anything from today, remember that there are certain aspects in your life the Lord has willed to occur. And between point A and B, those choices that you make have an effect on what you carry into reaching that place that He would have us to be. I'll give you a great example. Okay? I met my wife in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay? Now, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee was the second to the last city I ever in my life wanted to live in. 
I, I, when I moved there, I absolutely fell in love with it. Never wanted to leave it. Now I'm here. Okay? Fell in love with it. Wanted to be buried on our property there. That's where I wanted to be. All my kids are born there. Married there. I want to be buried there. Now, there were all kinds of things that, came, that, that led to that decision of me moving to Nashville. I moved there for work. Okay? Now, several years before that, when I was, when I was playing ball, I had an opportunity uh, to sign with the team uh, post-college, and uh, the Lord laid it upon my heart that I was done. All right? And I was finished. So I went back. I went back to, uh, went back to work. I went to grad school, served my residency, finished my residency. I was board eligible. And all of a sudden, I'm called to preach in the front end of my, my residency. All of these things begin to happen in my life. Now, I made decisions way over here. And then I got to this point, and then all of a sudden I find myself moving to Nashville. And on the 12th of, this, uh, of January, uh, 1998, I see her for the very first time. Two months later, we're talking about marriage. A month later, we're engaged. And by November of the same year, we're married. Amen? Wow. You know? That same team that I had an opportunity to sign with, in the same year that I moved to Nashville, they did too. You said, wow. Now, what I believe in all of my heart, had I fought the will of God and said, no, I'm not hanging my cleats up, I'm not going to hang my spice up, I'm going to play, I'm going to sign, I think I'd have still ended up in Nashville, Tennessee in 1998, but I think I'd have had a whole lot more baggage. I think I'd have had some more scars. I think I'd have had more carrying along with me than I should have, amen, but I listened to the Lord, praise God, I'm glad that I did in 1995. Okay. I'm saying all that to make this point and make it clear, guys. There is a determined will of God. My, I, I believe in all of my heart the determined will of God was for me to marry that woman right there and still be married to her today 25 years later. But how I got to that point, I could have changed and probably made a mess of some things. That's what we're trying to tell you about the determined will of God and the decisions that we make within point A and point B. So there's also not only the determined will of God, there's the desired will of God, the desired will of God. And this is where you and I live every single day. This is where you and I exist. God gives us choices, guys, so that we can exercise our free will in obeying him. He also does so in order to test our hearts, to, to see whether we truly uh, acknowledge him as God. Uh, his desired will is, is his personal involvement in our daily lives and his direction in our decisions. A good example of that is, when I was sitting up underneath a tree uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, and I made that decision to hang the cleats up. God working in my life that day, laying upon my heart with conviction, son, you're done, okay? Great example. His desired will um, is his personal involvement in our daily lives. It's his direction, if you will, in our decisions. Therefore, whereas the Lord, uh, Lord's determined, determined will is inevitable and unpredictable apart from from what he's revealed in his word, the Father's desired will in our life is knowable in all circumstances that we experience. And it requires you and I to make a decision about who he is to each and every one of us. The most important thing God is fully invested in is his whole plan in our life. If we are seeking God and have a heart to do his will, uh, we are promised that he will show you what to do. Jesus Christ said himself, Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh and receiveth, and 
he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. God wants us to ask. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who are parents and have older children, or maybe those of you who are, uh, who are kids and are uh, not, you know, kids, young people, I got to say that. Uh, kids, a goat, I get it, you know. Anyway, so let me ask you this question. So when you went into the kitchen or you had your children come in the kitchen and they said something like, uh, you know, hey, I, I want a popsicle, what, what was a statement you would make back to them? Is that how we ask? Right? Or ask nicely? Actually, if our kids would have came in and said they wanted anything, the answer was no. You know, that's not how you get it. Not in this house. Go away. You know, you're done. All right? But that God wants you to ask. We sit around and we think, oh, I don't want to bother God. Oh, I don't want to ask him about trivial things. Let me ask you a question. How many people see American football players down on a knee? They're praying before a game. A game which occurs on Sunday, which is the, the, the day people ought to be in the house of God. All right? How many people in here honestly believe God cares one iota about, about football or soccer? Nobody should care about soccer. Four or four. All right? or rugby, or baseball, or cricket, or anything. God doesn't care about those things, but he does care about the individuals playing those things and the representation they have and their personal needs and their personal desires and their personal health and wealth and, and all of those things in their life. God cares about that. Why? Because they are his creation. And guys, I understand it. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of these teams are playing on Sunday. I think it's wrong to play on Sunday personally. That's my opinion. Uh, the Bible is clear that we should come together on the, uh, at least on the first day of the week. But many of these Christians who are playing sports, they have their own church that meets on a Monday and on a Thursday uh, in the week. And they're faithful in those churches. Why? Because they work on a Sunday. All right? So I'm not throwing athletes under the bus by any stretch of the imagination. But here's what I am saying. God wants us to ask Him. God wants us to seek Him. God wants us to knock. He does. So that he can reveal, open, and provide what is good for us. What is good for us. Verse 11 in the same chapter, Matthew 7, uh, says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them? Now, when he says you being evil, he's speaking of us in a carnal nation. I think a normal parent has a natural inclination to provide, to love, and to be a blessing to their children. It is normal, and it is natural. All right? You say, well, hang on a preacher. Uh, what about all these people committing abortions out there? What about all these people out here that are uh, these, these parents that are neglecting their children, and they don't do this, that? I said it's normal, and it's natural. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the natural in our day and age is being forsaken. The natural use of the woman, the Bible speaks of. Okay. It is not natural for a mother to neglect her child. It is not natural for a father to neglect his home. It is not natural for a husband and a wife to neglect one another. It's not normal, man. Not nor it's not normal for two people to get married and live separate lives. You're not roommates. Amen? None of that's normal. None of that is natural. We understand one another. So if we can naturally have a desire to love one another. You know what? Nobody had to teach me to love Denise. I had no control over it. I fought it 
more than you can imagine. Because I thought I was just too busy and chasing my career. I wanted to preach. And, you know, I didn't want a girlfriend. I didn't want anything. And here I am, four kids later, right? Outside of my salvation, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I married my best friend. And I get to live my life with my best friend. I get to enjoy my days with my best friend. Amen. Uh, you know, I don't need nights with the boys. I don't need to go out here and out. I don't get that, man. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I know I got friends of mine that, that do it. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. What I do typically during the day is I'm working my way to the end so I can spend time with her. I call that natural. Amen. But at the end of the day, I'm still just flesh. Okay. I mean, I'm saved and born again on the inside, but this flesh here has been dying since 1971, right? So the Lord has given us an illustration here, saying you, if you're you being evil, you, this right here, this flesh is not going to live forever. It is not eternal. It, it, your flesh is going to go away. And you have natural uh, abilities inside of you. You think carnally as a man. All of these different things. How much better <laughs> can the Heavenly Father who created you who loved you enough to give his only begotten son for you. How much better things can he give you? Amen? If you'll ask. If you'll ask. You know, the Lord says in another verse, another scripture, he says, you have not because you ask not. It's that simple. So even when we're not clear of what choice to make, if for whatever reason he keeps his will concern, concealed in our life, and there's times that happens, we can always take comfort in the fact of what we find in the Holy Scriptures concerning his will. The Apostle Paul says, my inspiration, for it is, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You know, tonight, guys, you may be dealing with some things in your life that you just simply, you just can't wrap your head around it. There's a decision you know that needs to be made. You're uncomfortable. You're unhappy. You're, you, you don't have that peace that passeth all understanding. Yet, you don't know whether or not a pen should be pulled and, and take that step out. Now, we've all been there. Some of you are, you are there right now. Some of you may have been there last year. And some of you are going to be in there next week. It's called life ups and downs of life. I'm saying this to make this point. Even though you don't know exactly which way to turn now, what you can rest assured of tonight is that it is God which worketh both to you, both to, to will and to do His good pleasure. So whatever that will of God is in your life, specifically speaking, that desired will, that daily work, and that determined will, you don't know which way to turn tonight or tomorrow. You can find comfort in the simple fact that it's going to be, it's going to work with God's will and His good pleasure. The Lord takes responsibility for directing us through the Father. I'm thankful for that. Thing. So often, many a times, we get into the midst of the fog and we start trying to jump off the ship. Keep in mind, the other side of the fog, what is it? It's water and it's deep and it's unknown. Corey Tim Boom said something along this line. I, I'm going to paraphrase it. But, you know, when you're on a train, 
when you go through the tunnel and it's dark, you don't tear the tickets up and jump off the train. You trust the engineer to get you through the dark. Well, that is no different with the word if. If. If you'll be conformed to the, uh, to, if you'll not be conformed to this world. If you'll be transformed by the renewal of your mind, then and only then can you prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God will move heaven and earth to show you his will, but he's going to do so in his timing. He's never late. And let me tell you this, guys. And I want you to take this to heart. One of the greatest things I learned stepping down from that pastor in the church and going into the mission field is God's not in the hurry. We're in the hurry. We're in the hurry. Because we think we've got to show results right here, right now. We make stupid decisions in our life. Stupid decisions in our life. Because we don't just simply listen and wait on God. He's not in a hurry. He'll move heaven and earth to show you his will, but he'll do so in his timing. So guys, here's something for us to remember. We're done. Most times we do not know specifically the will of God in our life until afterwards. That's the beauty of it. A lot of times, guys, we go through we go through situations, we go through storms, we go through fogs, we go through circumstances, and we just don't quite understand why. And once we get through it, we look back and go, oh, that's fine. Each one of those instances in our lives are teaching us something to build upon the next one that comes our way. So, beloved, in the meantime, let's just keep moving forward. Let's keep moving into the direction that is pleasing Him. Keep moving forward and doing the things that we know for an absolute fact is the will of God. And that determined will of God will be so, and that desired will of God will be so. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to time again for the message tonight. I pray uh, that you would write it upon the table of our hearts. I pray, dear Lord, this evening that we would not soon forget the, the power of this small world if and how we can apply it into our lives to bring glory, honor, and praise in the name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we ask all of these things this evening. Amen. And amen.